Joining me today on Coastal Front, all the way from Ireland, is my former colleague and longtime friend, Bart Jaworski, Chief Executive Officer and Director of Group 11. Bart has over 20 years of experience in the mining industry, commencing his career as an exploration geologist in properties located in Canada, Russia, Costa Rica, and the Yukon. Additionally, Bart spent 12 years as a mining analyst where we originally became friends. Incorporated in 2015, Group 11 is a mineral exploration company focused on advanced stage zinc exploration projects in Ireland. Two of their main ventures include Ballinac Project located in Northeast Ireland and the Stone Park Project near Limerick. Group 11 trades under the symbol of ZNG on the TSX Venture Exchange. Thanks for being on the show today. Love to have you back here. Yeah, great to be back. Okay. Thanks for having me. Great. Well, for those listeners who haven't had a chance to listen to our previous conversations, why don't you maybe give us a quick overview of Group 11? Yeah, okay. So thanks for the introduction, by the way. Yeah, I'm a geologist and mining analyst, about 25 years experience in the industry. Started the company uh, back in 2015 with David Furlong and another Irish geologist. We took it public then in 2017 on the Vancouver Exchange. Uh, we were fortunate enough to have uh, Glencourt join us as a major shareholder, number one shareholder in 2019. And then a year later, followed that up with Mike Gentile coming on the register, being the number two largest shareholder. And uh, here we are now. So we've raised about um, $20 billion, I guess, in the last uh, few years. And uh, yeah, we're focused on zinc exploration in Ireland, which is the richest jurisdiction for zinc in the world it's number one in terms of zinc found per square kilometer so it's a good place to be in okay well that's great that's a good overview um and uh it's been <coughs> a tough market we were just talking about that before we yep. started filming uh share prices have been beaten up but not the only one in the market i mean it's amongst many other juniors yep. right now um what's your kind of outlook on that space being that you, you know you've got mining as a, as an analyst in the, as your history bart um we've been through this kind of thing before we saw the market get smoked in 2008 and then we saw a super cycle come out of that in the commodity space are we at the beginning of uh the bottom here and maybe a very big uptrend in the future do you think yeah i i'm you know things are looking pretty good despite the volatility in zinc prices the refined market uh, is in deficit right now and it's projected to be double the deficit it was last year so last year we had about a 200,000 ton deficit and this year it's projected to be 300,000 tons that's on the back of smelter uh, curtailments because of high gas prices and that's obviously uh, in large part to do with Russian invasion of Ukraine so we're seeing those types of constraints on the market in terms of the concentrate market which is really what the mines produce out there that's in a less of a constrained position so uh, we see that with uh, treatment charges going up which usually means there's a little bit more concentrate out there but in general things are looking quite interesting for the in terms of pricing for the for the near term it looks like it's constrained it might continue to be constrained as long as energy prices are high um, and in the interim, I guess, um, we'll see what happens with the renewable space because that's really what's uh, driving new demand into the into the zinc space. It's quite an exciting uh, area, actually. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Um, so that was very helpful in making sure our listeners understand that uh, there are two sort of zinc 
markets that yeah. pr- pricing context kind of come yeah. evolves around. Yeah. Uh, there's the refined, which is what's used to galvanize steel. That's the one of the big re- uses of zinc. I understand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then there's the work, the market you're in, which is the concentrate market, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that'll be helpful as we listen, talk, go through this conversation. So. Um, I just mentioned where zinc's used, but let's maybe expand on that a little further. Like, can you give the listeners an understanding of like, because when it comes to things like gold, mm-hmm. uh, we, we know it's used in, you know, wedding rings and we know it's used in our, in our mobile phones. And we know for, uh, for lithium, everybody knows it's used for battery metals, that type of, it's a battery mm-hmm. metal. But I don't think it's so obvious for people what zinc's used for. So can you maybe expand for the in, in layman's terms what that means today? Yeah, I mean you could find zinc in galvanized steel everywhere in cars and you know uh, in construction products. Sixty percent of the market is galvanizing steel, so protecting it with a coating uh, on steel so it doesn't rust, and that's sixty percent of a fourteen million ton market. The overall market in general, we call it. We call it about 14 million tons. There's some recycling in there as well, but call it 14 million tons. Okay. 60% of that is galvanizing. Then you got 15% of it, which is something called die casting, which a lot of people might not know what that is. That basically, if you have a, it's like mold casting. So you basically, if you have a machine part, you, you build the mold and then you inject some molten alloy into it and then it cools into the part you want. So that's about 15% of the market. Okay. Then you have brass. The, the, the zinc is used as the... As, as the, the injection. Is the injection. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's one thing. Then you've got brass and bronze. Uh, so that's another 10% of the market. Zinc's used in brass and bronze? Yeah. Oh. So okay. bronze would be uh, zinc and tin, and brass would be zinc and copper. Oh, um, cool. So okay. for just an FYI. So those are the two, di- two differences, and that's that's a big part of the market. And then I think the remainder, it's interesting, you've got, um, uh, I guess the last 15% is in rubber for your tires. So without zinc, your, t- your rubber would, would wear away within days. So that's, wow. uh, that's very important. I guess you've got it in paints, also kind of handy. Yeah. Uh, for the modern world, you've got it in agriculture products and you've got it in, agri- in uh, pharma as well. Okay, wow, that's really neat. So that makes up the, that no makes idea up. it was used in, in rubber, that's, that's really neat. Mm-hmm. Okay, so 60% of the market though is in galvanized steel. Now, is most of that steel, like, is that mostly in construction projects? Like, are we talking about when White you see- goods, cars, construction. Yeah. yeah, it is infrastructure tied, and it is, okay. um, I would say, if you track the um, PMIs, perhaps, I don't know what a good leading indicator is, but obviously steel prices would be a good indicator, the amount of construction activity out there. Okay. Obviously, these, these infrastructure projects getting uh, rolled out now and amplified or magnified now with in China and in the States, um, that is going to have a big impact, I think, on the on the steel market and therefore the, the zinc market because a lot of that steel has to be galvanized. Some of it goes into right. stainless steel. You don't need any yeah. zinc for that. That's nickel. But uh, the remainder, it's a, it's a zinc product. Yeah. Wow. Who is the largest producers in the world of zinc today? If we go by country, not by company. I mean, we can talk yeah, about companies so too. Yeah, so countries, China, 33%, the biggest by far. Wow. Uh, it's China, followed by Peru, about 12%, and then uh, Australia is another third place, really yeah. big country for, for zinc production. You have India in there as well, the U.S., um, countries like that. Ireland used to be a major heavy hitter in the zinc space, but two mines have shut down over the last decade or so, Lachine Galmoy, and uh, the existing mine, Navin, used to produce quite a bit, 200,000, 250,000 tons a year. Now it's down to 110 or so, so... Ireland right now is about number four in Europe. 
Okay. Um, so, and probably, I don't know, below, not definitely not within the top 10 of, of the world anymore. But okay. that's, th- that's in terms of country. Yeah. In terms of company, it will be Glencore, Vedanta, and Tech will be the top three uh, producers. Okay. Um, Glencore both produces... Both the first and third are, are <clears throat> shareholders of Group 11. Indeed. Yeah, Tech yeah, and Glencore. Indeed. Yeah. And Vedanta was actually mining in Ireland uh, a deposit called the Lachine Deposit, which ran out of ore in 2015 or so. I've never heard of Vedanta. Is it a v- public company? Vedanta. Vedanta uh, is, uh, I believe it is. Yeah. I could be mistaken. Where they but they're, they're an Indian company. Indian. Yeah. Okay. All yeah. right. So. so you mentioned uh, 33% is China. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, do they export or they just use all their own? Like, do they, are they just consuming every every ounce of zinc they Good they question. Yeah. Very good question. Actually, historically, they're a net importer. Uh-huh. Uh, they probably import about, you know, between 2 to 5% of the overall, uh, their needs. Uh, a lot of it is met internally, but uh, they've been net importers. Okay. Right now, what's happened this year is because there's been so many shutdowns and smelting, smelting capacity in Europe. Europe is 20% of the smelting capacity. Um, and there hasn't been a lot of use of it in China because of lockdowns. I think this year we're going to see an actually net export out of China, perhaps a very small one, but maybe it's going to be the first year in a, in a long time that we've actually seen a next net export out of China. Okay. But that remains to be seen. It could it could come close, and maybe the maybe the net imports are just a lot smaller. But yeah, we'll see what happens. Now, just because China and Peru are the largest producers, is that where the largest deposits are as well? Or, or is uh, there other uh, jurisdictions? It's a little bit. Yeah. So the 50, com- 50 countries out there produce zinc. The largest zinc deposit is uh, Gazouet, which is in Algeria. It's owned by a state-owned company. And they produce about 870,000 tons, which is a huge amount, huge That's amount of, uh, of zinc. So technically, they would be like, uh, if you call that the Algerian government a company, they would be number two after Glencore in terms of production wow. levels. Um, then you've got, uh, you've got, um, Red Dog in Alaska owned by Tech, which is about 500,000 tons a year. You've got Antamina in Peru, another giant deposit, uh, partially owned by Glencore. You've got Rampura Agucha, which is a, which is a mine in India again by Vedanta, owned by Vedanta. Yeah. I think that's about 400,000 tons a year. And then you've got Mount Isa and, and MacArthur River, two massive mines in Australia, Queensland and Northern Territory owned by Glencore. So that kind of get, that's about 20% of world production right there. Um, and again, Navin about in how much, sorry, about 20% right there. Wow. Yeah. So quite a, quite a bit. Navin in, in Ireland used to be up there as well. Yeah. About, uh, 200, 250,000 tons. So still probably not in the top five, but mm-hmm. big. Okay. Now you mentioned earlier about smeltering. So being able to <clears> extract <throat> zinc out of the ground is, is step one, but yeah. step two is I would assume other, like other metals like aluminum, until you smelter it, mm-hmm. which is like almost in a sense cooking it, yeah. uh, get purifying a giant it. Giant furnace, yeah. In a furnace, yeah. Uh, it's pretty useless, right? Is that a fair comment? Yep. Okay. Yep. So where are the biggest smeltering? You mentioned that, that Europe represents 20% of the global smeltering mm-hmm. activity or has historically. Mm-hmm. Is Are there other places that are, have large levels of smeltering as well? Yeah. Uh, Canada, uh, Korea's huge. Korea really? is actually huge for, for smelting. So outside of China, China would be the number one. Okay. Korea would be, I would say, number two. I would say um, India and Canada uh, rank up there in terms of smelting. Yeah. Albeit smelters are shutting down in Canada. But uh, those those would be the major centers. China, again, being the major one, the, uh-huh. the really, really big one. Head and shoulders above the rest. Okay. Okay. 
has the you mentioned that the the gas prices uh, as a factor in smeltering? I guess these smelters, like the ones yeah. in Europe, which if Group Eleven had a mine, uh, a producing mine, say 10, 15, 20 years from now, mm-hmm. I imagine that based on the current geographics, like the current makeup today in twenty twenty two, that concentrate would go to uh, to a European smelter. But it yeah. sounds like they're shutting down. Do they have been recently because of the well, gas prices? Some have temporarily. So they're not shutting down permanently. Okay. Albeit there are certain speculations out there. Some of these might be because they were hobbling along anyway. So okay. maybe these high prices, if they're sustained, could lead to a permanent shutdown. But I think most expectations are that these are temporary shutdowns. They will um, flick the switch again uh, and start producing once the gas prices subside. And maybe they are subsiding already, but you know, gas is quite a volatile commodity, super, super volatile. Yeah. So these guys have to weigh weigh that against the treatment charges that they charge the miners. If there's more concentrate out there, the, then the smelters will will be more emboldened by that and will start charging more to the miners because they'll say, well, even if these guys walk, I'll just get somebody else to come in and pay those treatment charges. So okay. maybe if the treatment charges uh, rise enough. Uh, to offset the high gas prices, maybe it'll be economic for them to smelt again. Okay. But outside outside of that, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think if we had a, if we had a product in ten to fifteen years, most likely we'll go to uh, Europe. There's a lot in Scandinavia, France, Germany, those types of places. So there's quite a quite a few to choose from. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue into talking a bit more about um, I, another consideration that most of our listeners would know. But if you know anything about mining, mm-hmm. is access to you know, ports, infrastructure, yeah, access to power, uh, dealing with stakeholders. Of course, you mentioned Peru being one of the larger jurisdictions. Yeah. I mean, th- you've got indigenous groups in Peru. I don't think you have any indigenous groups you have to got a, as stakeholders in, in, in Ireland. <clears throat> so maybe can you talk a little bit about um, the advantages of where Group 11's, you know, resources or assets are versus some of these other major assets in, in countries like China and Peru and India? Well, the policy in Ireland is top notch, according to the Fraser Institute. We're number one in terms of policy perception index, which is quite a big statement out of 100 jurisdictions worldwide that are ranked by the Fraser Institute. So, what for whatever mean, reason, policy? policy, yeah, what does it mean? So, policy yeah. basically takes into account how the mining sector is run, how uh, exploration prop, uh, uh, prospecting licenses are divvied out. How transparent is it? You know, um, security of title, those types of issues. Wow. And it's ranked number one. So ranks number one, surprisingly. Even over Canada? Even over Canada, yeah. Okay. So wow, that's uh, now there's, there's other, so there's policy perception index, and then there's the overall investment uh, investment index, and Ireland ranks number four. Okay. I think some of the Canadian that's provinces are high. ahead of that. Yeah, very yeah. high. Yeah, sure. So you've got that going for you. You've got stable, uh, stable political, democratic, first world jurisdiction. The key thing for a base metal project is the infrastructure. You touched on that already. Yeah. So roads, power, tidewater, it being year round. We have a clean concentrate in Ireland. It's on the doorstep of European smelters. So it's a very good jurisdiction to be exploring for, especially if you know that the geology is the richest in the world in terms of zinc found per square kilometer. Right. So that's why you have so many companies operating in Ireland, like uh, Belieden is mining there, 
tech is exploring there. You had Vedanta mining there in Lachine. You have Glencore right. with the Palace Green deposit next to us. And you have South 32 that's just acquired ground there through Adventus. So there's a lot of majors in the country, and there's a reason for that, and it's infrastructure, politics, security of tenure. High concentrate. Um, yeah, nice clean concentrate, so you don't yeah. have a lot of nasties in there. It's very clean concentrate with sphalerite, yeah. galena, just in two of your metals. Wow. Uh, so it's it's got all that really going for it. Yeah. And again, the smelters being right there is very, very, very good as well. Let's talk a minute about, uh, thanks for that, Bart. Let's yeah. talk for a minute about uh, the supply demand. We kind of touched on that at the beginning. You helped explain the difference between the concentrate market that Group 11 really <coughs> is in and mm -hmm. the refined market. Mm -hmm. um, and you mentioned that uh, last year in the refined market, there was a roughly a, a deficit of around 200,000 tons. This last year, year, 200, yeah. And then this year, about 300,000. Yeah. So that's cumulative, like 500,000 tons of, of... Yeah, uh, inventory drawdown. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, seeing, being, being that Group 11 is in the concentrate market uh, and it doesn't have the exact same... Can you can just elaborate a little bit more on what that supply demand looks like today? And... What kind of estimates are you are you hearing from your network of what the future looks like for that uh, supply? For concentrates? Demand? Yeah. Yeah. Well, to give some numbers on it, I guess, um, last year the TCs or treatment charges were about $130 per ton. Right now, I believe they're about 230 There's rumors it's, it's going to increase. 300 So that's is bearish. This, inflation? this is, well, again, this is that mine supply is going up. I think this year it's projected to go up about 3.9%, um, the mine supply. Okay. But the actual refined metal supply is only supposed to grow 0.9. So it's 3.9 versus 0.9. Okay. And that again speaks to the smelter, uh, the, the dearth of smelting capacity. Okay. Um, but so demand is going sure, up. So we understand treatment tar charges are what? That's that's a gauge of, and what is that for? What is it? That basically is the is the amount that the smelter charges the miner to take the mine's concentrate and turn it into metal. Okay. So they're basically so obviously saying, if they're cranking up their fees, it's because it's not like the uh, miners would be able to go. Well, if your fees are too high, I'll just go over there because they don't have a lot of options. Yeah, there's a lot of concentrate out there. The right. smelters are saying, well, if we can you know, get away with charging a little extra here. I mean, maybe we might lose one customer, but we know there's so much of them, they're gonna come to us anyway. So we might so as well So the treatment bump charges is actually a way to gauge what the market's doing. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And it's a really good barometer. Barometer, of, yeah. That's the only really good way of knowing how much uh, concentrate there is out there. Okay. Because there's no, there's no price for concentrate. It's not, it's, it's not it would have been the long-term average over the last, say, five or 10 years for those treatment charges. Oh, I don't know. Um, but I would, I would guess it's hovering between one and one and it's kind of, we're kind of in that ballpark, but I would say maybe 150 would be an average, okay. um, stick my neck out on that perhaps. Yeah. So we're kind of going th from a fairly constrained concentrate market of about a hundred and 150 last year. Now we're going to a slightly, um, less constrained market with 230. We might, we might get to 300 uh next year or maybe later this year yeah and then most expectations are it's gonna it's gonna come off again because there was mine supply that was held back by COVID, and now right. everything's ramping up so there's a little bit of a bump coming on on mine supply but where i kind of how i look at that is that that's going to wear itself out or work its way through the system over the next maybe year to two to three years yeah. in the meantime you've got the renewables coming on very fast a lot of battery technologies are out there already commercial 
wind power, solar, all that's coming to the fore and that's happening right now. Right. And that's where and we're going to get into that blue sky conversation. Yeah, that's yeah. really interesting. So again, going back to projections that maybe analysts out there who are covering this space, um, are they, I mean, aside from the blue sky opportunities that we're going to talk about, if you just looked at the primary <clears throat> reasons for zinc today, 60% of the market today is for galvanizing steel. Yeah. Is there a view that this is a, a fast growing market? I mean, is there a lot of infrastructure projects coming on board globally? Is there a lot more need for galvanized steel in the future than what we've seen in the past? Well, that's that's the uh, big question, what's going to happen with infrastructure. But you've seen China come out with uh, billions of dollars of extra infrastructure projects are loosening the uh, lending re requirements for the banks. So I think they're generally loosening, loosening the um, the requirements so that you have more infrastructure spending. So they're, they're definitely pushing more infrastructure spending and the U.S. build back better. So in general, in order to get over the, I mean, the induced recession we're supposed to be having here. Yeah. Uh, something's got to offset that. And I think infrastructure has always played a big role in resuscitating yeah. the Absolutely. recession. So I guess the problem is inflation. So you got to quell that. We need to induce a recession. And then yeah. on the backside of that, you have to spur things along so things don't yeah. completely fall over. And that's where infrastructure comes in. And certainly there's a lot of infra infrastructure to be done in America. That is for yeah, sure. That is for sure. Uh, China's got a lot of infrastructure projects, Belt and Road uh, and other major mega, mega projects. Yeah. So I think the galvanizing sector is probably on very solid ground, if not growing, although I haven't seen any projections for that. Okay. Okay. But probably a safe bet. It's probably going to continue to yeah. to grow. Yeah. I would. Slowly. I would. Yeah. It sounds like it. I mean, yeah. It's, it's funny when you look at the cycle of the economy, and especially you get a period right now. I'm. I'm. I've predicted that we are already in the throes of a very deep, long recession. Mm. And uh, classically, governments, once we get into that, their their go to is to spend money on infrastructure because mm. there's like. It's a long history of evidence that yeah. when you spend money on infrastructure, you help spur the economy. Mm -hmm. Then the economy gets really good, and then they spend it on all this other f frivolous shit. Yeah, you know, and they they get really creative in how they can spend that money. Yeah. it's too bad they just just stay focused on infrastructure, and you'd have like just a booming economy for decades. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's what happens. Exactly, like, platform for the economy. Okay, Bart. So aside from what's known uh, for zinc today, which is is galvanized steel, sixty percent of the market. Mm -hmm. Uh, infrastructure bill, that kind of thing that we just talked about. There's what I like to describe as the blue sky opportunities. Mm -hmm. And from what we've talked about, from what I've read in the press, I'm going to dumb it down into three categories. Batteries, mm -hmm. solar, mm -hmm. and turbines. Mm -hmm. So let's start by talking about <clears throat> how can zinc become a major uh, input metal into these markets let's start with batteries because today everybody kind of knows batteries for yeah you know, lithium ion or whatever it's called right mm -hmm, you know, lithium mm -hmm. being the main so what do you know about bat the battery market what's happening there with, well with respect to there's zinc? 15 zinc companies right now working on five different chemical formulations of zinc batteries and some of these companies are already commercial so oh wow there's already demand for zinc in this space and it's growing exponentially. The, there's a spectrum of chemistries. So there's the, the nickel zinc batteries, there's the nickel manganese batteries, there's the zinc ion batteries, then there's something called zinc bromine batteries and zinc air batteries. Okay, so those are the five types of different batteries. Okay. And they basically span a spectrum of high power, short duration, 
through to the air battery side, which is the high energy or low power, high energy, long duration. So think of it like a flash of bright light is the one end of the spectrum in terms of energy. And then the kind of slow glow is the, it'll glow lower, dimmer, but for a much longer time. So it contains a lot more energy okay. and it's a long duration market. So there's a whole bunch of different applications in the market, but the biggest one right now, and that's the one that's quite interesting is the grid power storage. So for, you know, solar and wind and um, not hydro, I guess, but it's mostly for solar and wind, there's big fluctuations when the wind blows, when the sun shines. Yeah. So in order to level that out and secure the system, you need zinc, you need batteries. Most of that right now is lithium ion just because it's kind of a carryover from the EV market because it's already commercialized. Everybody right. knows it, but there are problems with lithium ion uh, batteries for this application because they're not as safe they actually they need you know a lot of uh, they have thermal runaway problems basically uh, they don't recycle very easily so you have okay. to spend a lot of costs on recycling lithium and i imagine and with lithium prices they're very expensive lithium prices so it's a scarce commodity then you got cobalt in the mix which is really scarce on yeah. top of that got nickel which isn't easy to come by either so um where zinc comes in is basically offers a much lower price point, um, much safer to operate. You don't need all these uh, regulations about sa fire safety and then protections uh, that jack up your costs. And then it's recyclable. So it's much cleaner from sort of cradle to grave. Okay. Or cradle to cradle because it's just yeah. a circular. It's very easy to, uh, to recycle. 30% of zinc out there right now is actually recycled. So, yeah. and that's going to be, be growing, growing. So that's, that's a real positive for zinc batteries. So there's a number of companies on the sort of bright flash side of things. You have, um, Enzinc and, uh, uh, e, no, Ezinc is on the, on the other side. There's Ezinc companies, which, uh, which is, com is close to commercial, uh, status than Redflow, which is an Australian company, which is using, um, sort of more for the grid power storage side. That's also commercial. There's imprint, which is also commercial for the internet of things. So there's all these different uh, variants of these batteries. Uh, but there's a number of these. I think for your audience, it'd be interesting to know that these are actually commercial right now, as mm. opposed to sort of pie in the sky in the future. Yeah. Um, and also within Zinc and other companies, they're just about to be commercial, like 2023. Zinc 8 is another great example. E-Zinc for the grid power storage. Mm -hmm. These are companies that are very close to being commercial. They've already got large demo uh, projects. Zinc 8 is a great example in New York City, doing large demo projects as well on, the, on, their, on their technologies. So it's a space to watch. Yeah. Um, and for these companies you've just mentioned and the batteries they're producing, especially the ones that have gone commercial, are they, do they use a lot of zinc? I mean, or is it just... Well, a, I'll tell you, maybe the best way to answer that question yeah. is to say what the projection is right now. And there's sure. a number, there's the newly, newly minted zinc battery initiative. There's the um, International Zinc Association. Bloomberg has a NEF. I don't know if you know that. There's the no. New Energy Finance. So you can look it up on Bloomberg. IRENA, which is this international uh, renewable energy uh, resource. So there's a number of groups that are looking at this very closely. There's a German group that battery um, battery consultants. Basically, it looks like this. So from 2020 to 2025, 2030, 2040, 2050. Let's just say that kind of yeah uh, time sequence. Five, you have five year. Yeah, you have about 300 tons being uh, consumed right now, which is hardly anything. Yeah. By 2025, it's about 14,000 tons. Then For it's a 
14,000 tons. So from 300 to 14,000, you got 136,000 tons then by 2030. Some say 150,000 tons, so even more than that. Then you've got a huge leg up. Uh, 990,000 tons is the projection, and then 2.8 million tons. Wow. So by 2040, 2050. So by 2040, 2050, if those projections are correct, it'll completely swell the whole demand side of the picture. Basically what we've seen happen in the lithium space yeah. in so the last I think, decade. You know, if you look at it, 2.8 million tons in 2050, that's about 20% of the market right now. So that's the kind of, I mean, it's not going to double yeah. The, the demand side, but it's going to be a very big shot in the arm for the demand side. Wow. And the demand side slowly is per, is growing. Like back in the 1980s, I think the total zinc consumption was about 8 million tons. Today, it's about 14,000 tons. So you can see that slowly. Million. Yeah, slowly going from 8 all the way up to 14. Million. Uh, million tons, yeah. Million tons, okay. So from like the 1980s to today. So we know that the applications, the, the amount of use is growing year by year in general. Sure ups and downs along the way but in general it's increasing and it will increase now in the back of batteries solar and wind and yeah. f- and like we were saying infrastructure projects and what have you yeah sure but the yeah what it's always been yeah but the kagers on this are crazy wow so the kagers on if you just look at the 10-year kager on batteries so sir, what's, a kager? Usage, hmm? what's a kager a compounded annual growth rate okay sorry yeah thanks so the kager the kager on that is like 84 percent which is an insane kager Wow. Right. For batteries. Yeah. Obviously, you're, you're starting off from a very low base, 300, 300 tons, which is essentially zero. Yeah. Going to, you know, going to 150,000 tons uh, per year by 2030. Yeah. And then the 30 tw- the year Kager, if you just look from the from now to 2050, it's still like 35 percent. Yeah. If it, and again, obviously, all the health warnings along. These are just projections. It's yeah, early sure. stage. It's still early, early days. But yeah. it does look very dynamic. Lots of money is being raised. So right now it's all lithium, and I think lithium has, you know, can hang on in this market. For, for EVs, 100%. Yeah. EVs are the way to go. They've got yeah. higher power, power density. Yeah. Um, I've got the new Ford F-150 Lightning. Drove it in today. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Maybe awesome. the next version will have a, a zinc battery in it. Okay. Well, it won't. It'll, it'll be lithium still. Yeah. For sure. That's, that's definitely, yeah. not, not saying anything bad about lithium here. It's just yeah. that there's different segments of the market, which are better well, it's a really suited good point, for different things. I think things. we all think of terms of batteries. Well, they're just one battery type lithium yeah. ion or whatever. It's so but, but, detailed. But, it's so yeah, detailed. Yeah, but if you think about it, like, like many things, I mean, you know, if you're a cook in the kitchen, you know, there's, there's multiple types of sugar to cook with, right? And <clears> I would imagine that batteries should be the same. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, yep. when it comes to the next big blue sky opportunity, uh, solar power is one of them. And uh, but I don't understand how can zinc be used in in solar panels? I, I've never heard of that before. Yeah, it's to galvanize the stems to hold the solar panels. Oh, so it's so not the solar. It's power not actually itself like the not the correct. solar power panels. Yeah. But it's the stems that hold it up. Yeah. So there is some work to enhance the electronics of the solar panels, but that's years years away okay but right now it's for galvanized steel to hold up the solar panels okay and for big solar projects big solar farms out there that's what that's being used for and their projections are for pretty significant growth you know again uh compound well, annual growth every, every one of them has to be held up off the ground yeah there's a lot that's and so a lot the, of steel right there's there's a lot of projections out there and and it basically uh, assumes that there's going to be a lot of solar farm uh grid projects being built out but eventually it's going to dovetail into residential mm-hmm. so the rev, uh, residential solar panels will use stainless steel right now they do 
and right now they do, but m it'll be more prevalent. So yeah. in the projections, they're assuming that it'll... Because stainless steel has got to be way more expensive than exactly. using it's way zinc to galvanize the steel. Right, right. And so who needs a fancy looking stems on the top of a house? You're not going to so look at So you can't really afford to do that. You can't use stainless steel for, for large solar farms. Yeah. It's, it's just, just not, not economical. Not economical. economical. So, yeah. so they use galvanized steel for that, which is cheaper, just as, uh -huh. just as strong, just as durable. Yeah. And that's... Which is a, is a strange thing. You wouldn't really think of that. No, but you it's wouldn't. actually a big part of the market. So right now, for example, wow. looking at the same sort of time horizons, I think right now solar uses about 85,000 tons. In 2020 it was. So this is like a current number. Okay. 85,000 tons of zinc go into the solar industry right now. And that's going to grow to about 210,000 tons uh, by 2050. So... 85 to 200 so that's a doubling in a bit it's yeah. not actually a huge amount and again it's over should 30 be, years yeah so it's not as big but it just adds to the already growing yeah demand between yeah. that and batteries and just construction and infrastructure absolutely it does um, and and the reason it's not a higher number is again because of this assumption made that it's going to transition to residential if that assumption is wrong and we're going to continue to build out solar farms then that's going to continue to grow much higher than what we're projecting right now. I see. But we're assuming it's all going to go residential, stainless steel, and no need for zinc. Okay. So that's kind of how it lays out. But it's yeah. still, again, in terms of compounded annual growth rates for this uh, demand sector, you're talking about um, 11, I think 7% over 10 years and 3% CAGR over, over 30 years. So not okay. too bad still. Yeah. yeah. Now the big one, of course, is what you've told me before is on turbines, mm -hmm. uh, wind farms, yeah. right? Yeah. But not onshore. Offshore, the world's going offshore. The world is going offshore. And so I've- So offshore wind farms is what- Offshore wind farms. Okay. So if you look at America, for example, a lot of onshore wind farms have already been built, Texas uh, and other states, Texas being a major wind farm yeah. uh, producer, but yeah. wind energy producer. Uh, but now the trend is going, there's less and less being built in America onshore and it's transitioning to offshore. A great example of that is off New York. It's okay. called the New York Bight, the body of water outside of New York City. And it was a record-breaking auction, $4.4 billion back in March of this year. Number of companies competing for it and the winning bids all totaled $4.4 billion. So is that, wow. that's a record-breaker. To, to build, to build this. Just to have the, the right to build. The right to build. The right to build. Offshore. Offshore New York. How far sh offshore are we talking about here? I, I don't know in particular in this one, but it yeah. would be 20, 30, 50, 100 kilometers offshore. So, oh, so you, wouldn't even, you wouldn't really even see it. Probably exactly. You wouldn't. The that's shoreline. the idea. It's, it's far away. You can't even, you can barely see it or you can't see it. And now, the idea. Why is this growing as a, like, why? It seems odd to me. Like, yeah. the building on land just seems so logical. Like, I'm putting something out in the ocean. It's like prone Harder. to harder. It, yeah, like you got to somehow secure it to the ocean floor and you got salt water and you got like, I don't understand. So better, fill me in. Better wind. There's okay. no wind shear. So no, no buildings and trees to get in your way. Number one. Right. Number two, no opposition or less opposition. So there's no one out there saying, oh, I don't really like the look of this right. or it's, Point. you know, um, yeah. what have you, yeah. shading my, my house have or no what rights. have you. <laughs> yeah, in, when you're out in the middle of the ocean, you get better wind, you don't have people as much objecting to it. It doesn't seem to affect uh, fish or yeah. in a negative way. Positively, actually, it does. Yeah. There's more to ha hang on to. Yeah. And the other thing is right. the correlation right. of wind. So yeah. if you look at how the wind blows uh, on the continent, it's pretty much on or off. So all these things, all these different wind sources are correlated. If you go offshore, you have a, a 
an uncorrelated wind source. I see. And that's really important for stability of the of, of the wind power. Of, uh, yeah. Right. Because all of a sudden, of if power if the, coming yeah. onto the grid. So there's a little bit. Of, there's a big element of that actually, and uh, also costs are coming down uh, dramatically. So it's a very how, how big are these wind turbines out on the offshore? I think, uh, like 1990, the, the first wind tur turbines were like 0.5 megawatt, and now we're building them to like 20 megawatts, and wow. there's plans to go to 20, like 25 megawatts for a turbine. These things are like and, and basically like visual, three like 747. If you if you take a 747, which is about 75 meters long, it's about three and a half of those would be tall. <laughs> So, I mean, man, they must look so ominous out there in the ocean. If yeah, you they're about a quarter out. of a kilometer high. So they're wow. 260 meters high, some of these big ones. And they're, there's no limit, really. I mean, we're pushing, humanity is pushing the boundaries of, of wind energy right now. So they're experimenting wow. with bigger and bigger blades, bigger turbines. There's so much that goes into it in terms of lightning strikes affect it. Wind speeds are huge. The amount of dirt in the air is, is has a big impact on yeah. on how these on the economics of how these these operate. Again, yeah. this is this is just basically what I've been able to glean. Yeah. The reason I've been able to glean it is I've been talking interestingly to some people recently in Ireland, because this has uh, this has an Irish um, angle to it. Okay, Ireland is seven times bigger by sea than it is by land, off okay. mostly <laughs> sure. the west coast. Yeah, right. It's a huge country if you look yeah. at the sea in the sea rights. It's that, got that lots of wind. Has. And that wind is 20% faster than the rest of Europe. Power is a cube of wind speed. So you're talking much more power. And power means economics. So there's a lot of reasons why Ireland is poised to be, and this has been said, yeah. the Saudi Arabia of energy for Europe. Really? Yeah. So right now... And then we tie all this back to zinc. Mm -hmm. The reason you need zinc is it is an anti-rusting agent. Right. Well, Basically, it's offshore needs 10 times more zinc than onshore wind ten turbine. 10 times. 10 times, yeah. There's, it's a lot more of wow. a corrosive environment. So you, you sure. do need salt a lot water more everywhere. It's so salt, yeah, salt and wind. And so the, the amount of galvanizing you need for wind power is a lot higher. And ten times, that's going to drive a market. Now, yeah. so again, that's a, that's a big demand center and that's only rising. If you just look at what um, are the estimates on those numbers? It's got to be out of this, out of this world. Well, it's not as out of this world as you expect, but it is still like a, an 11% CAGR okay. uh, from now to 2050. Right yeah. now, there's about 24,000 tons estimated to be 24,000 tons going into the wind sector. Uh, by 2025, that's supposed to go to 60, roughly 70, okay. and then end up, I think, around 160,000 tons by 2050. Yeah. And again, the reason it's not bigger because the huge, huge monster wind turbines are supposed to be having more megawatts per metal used. I see. And so, again, that's a bit of an assumption in there that they've worked in that maybe we won't need as many of these turbines because they're getting bigger. I don't buy powerful. it, though. I mean, if all these nations are looking to, like, completely electrify their... their yeah, to me, their, that sounds very conservative. Totally. And these things are getting bumped up year by year. Like, so you look at your British Columbia, right? Mm. I mean, there is, like, you know, to electrify this province, there are just so many bottlenecks along the way. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I believe supply of, of electricity will continue to be one of them. Mm -hmm. One of them is the grid system of having all these yeah. charging stations. If you want to just do just get the EVs to start. Yeah. You got to be able to get the EVs built. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting part of the market. I used to cover the nuclear industry back in Raymond James, as yeah. you know. So I have a little bit of an understanding in, in the electricity markets through that. But what's interesting about Ireland and other jurisdictions is if you can't connect it to the grid, 
because that's billions of dollars of infrastructure. Um, hydrogen is the answer. And that's, this is where Ireland is going and a lot of other countries around the world are going. So they're going to go, they're going to create the wind, pool it, uh, electrolyze the water. You split the hydrogen from the oxygen and then you take the nitrogen from the air, combine it with the hydrogen to create ammonia, which is a lot easier to transport than hydrogen, which explodes. So you, you can't really transport hydrogen, but you can, without any infrastructure spending, transport ammonia. And this is the answer. And this is what's happening post-Russian invasion of Ukraine. There's a lot of com countries knocking on Ireland's door to say, we want your green hydrogen. So make, make it work if you can, because there's a huge opportunity here for you. Wow. So that's, that's the dynamic happening over the last few months. I mean, this is already bubbling away in the background for many, many years, but now, yeah. it's, an, now it's an overdrive. Yeah. All this stuff is happening very fast, and I don't think Ireland's the only one. If it's happening in Ireland, it must be happening everywhere else as well. And uh, definitely what I'm seeing in you know, these record uh, auctions off, off of New York and what have you, that's a global phenomenon, I'm sure. Yeah. So again, that's kind of an aside, but um, green hydrogen is going to be quite big in ammonia storage. Yeah. And that is going to be a big driver for zinc. Wow. Well, you know, it's interesting. I never would have thought that the, the clean energy sector would be like a potentially huge driving force uh, in raising the, the value or the, the need for, for zinc um, beyond just the old galvanizing steel need. So yeah. it's, it's really fat. I mean, that's, to, that's what's still being used for. I guess to, to add the three things together, yeah. you're talking about 110,000 tons today yeah. going to about 3.2 million tons by 2050 in this so sector. That's huge. So again, that's about a CAGR of 13% over 10 years yeah. and about 11% over 30 years, roughly, rough numbers. Yeah. So it's still a double-digit compounded yeah. annual growth rate and we're now, talking now to 2050. So right. it is going to be a big growth driver. Yeah. And, if you, and we're if, talking about right here is not even current use. This is future use of new uses that didn't even exist 20 years ago. Yeah. Nobody was talking about it. And it's using, such a dynamic field right now. I mean, yeah, so is. much money is getting raised for this, for batteries. Yeah. So much money is be being raised for, for bigger and bigger and more efficient wind turbines. Yeah. Solar, Solar costs farms, are, are yeah. coming down fast. So yeah. it's only a, a sector that's going to grow. So it's going to be interesting to watch over the next few yeah. years. Yeah. Wow. Well, let's take this all back to Group 11. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit more about the company. Uh, what are you most excited about? We're kind of mid-2022 right now. <clears throat> you guys have been continuing to do drilling at some of your key projects in, in Ireland. You're fairly well financed right now. you got some good, a decent amount of money in the yep, bank. About $3 million. Um, and, uh, and you mentioned uh, Mr. Gentili. And uh, Michael Gentili is actually a key investor in his company as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's one of the strategic investors. Oh, and, and Fantastic. And, yeah. yeah. So and a guy like him is very smart guy. Yep. He's amazing track record in this space. So he obviously sees something in Group 11. Uh, and you're the CEO, so you do too. So talk a bit more for the viewers. You know, the share price has been smacked, as we said earlier, with all the other juniors out there. So maybe some good value opportunity here for an investor to come come in at you know an eight cent nine cent stock price when just you know not too long ago it was at seventeen. What are you most excited about right now with Group Eleven in the, the second half of twenty twenty two? Well, we just potentially discovered the source of the zinc in the Limerick area. So the focus for Group Eleven in Ireland is the Limerick area, and opposite to us, butting up against our ground is Glen Glencore's Palace Green deposit. It's only a few kilometers away and it's trending onto our ground. Wow. And we think we have potentially the feeder structure. So this would be hopefully something equal tonnage, but maybe higher grade, 
maybe more copper, maybe more silver, maybe a copper deposit underneath it. That hypothesis hung on the idea that there is a, f a major fault structure on the south side of this whole land package, and we just hit it. So we, well, we just hit a fault, and it's the first major fault that we've been able to find in this entire camp. And it doesn't appear that there's any faults of that magnitude. There's smaller faults which have a displacement of 20 meters, 30, maybe 10 to 20 meters. Here we've got something that's 150 meters minimum, probably like 250, maybe even more. And that's a major downdrop, and that's good because uh, the downdrop means that there's been a lot of movement along that fault. Fluids must have flowed up. This is, you know, talking about back when the deposit was formed 350 million years ago. Yeah. And now the idea is that if that was, we've been looking for this for, for a long time in this camp that since 2002. That's when Palace Green was discovered. Uh, our deposit is sitting right beside it. It was discovered in 07. Again, no major faults found there. We're saying, where is all this coming from? We know zinc deposits in Ireland come from faults, but no obvious fault structure has been found. So it was postulated up until a few weeks ago that it's on the south side, and we just hit something that looks like it could be at least part of this major um, structural fault system that could be the feeder. And where that fault meets the base of the target horizon is where our big prize would be. So we're looking at a a massive target there, you know, dare I say, if I can say it, a billion dollar type of, it's a target, and again, forward-looking statement there, yeah. but that's the kind of thing we're hoping to find if we drill, and um, we're hoping to find intersections of, you know, ma many, many meters and uh, a lot higher than 10, you know, 10 to 20% grades, that type of thing. Wow. So the, that's the most exciting thing within the company right now, because yep. we finally clinched this, this fault, and that fault has zinc in it, by the way. There's 12 meters of, of visible sphalerite along it. So that's a really good indicator that that came from lower down, which is, again, a, another exciting uh, bit of the puzzle, a uh, bit of evidence. So really our job is to drill that target at, so, at some stage. We're also probably, hopefully, in the not-too-distant future, so um, hopefully um, sooner rather than later. Just Let's just say that, but I'd, I'd love to drill that tomorrow if I could. And I think most most of us would uh, would agree internally. Yeah. So it's just a matter of making that work. Um, and then we also have another target called Ballywire, where we also had have discovered recently some brand new massive sulfides, three meters of twelve percent. Yeah. And we're just following that up as well. And that's on the Palace Green trend, as well. And I guess to finish the arc of what we were talking about earlier, uh, with wind power, green energy. So what I'd love to see happen is if we discover the next big zinc deposit in Ireland in in the Limerick area it's going to be on the west coast and by then hopefully we'll have a lot of green energy yeah and so in terms of an ESG perspective it'd be great to use either ammonia to to power the equipment or or what have you or grid power by that point uh, but it'd be nice to have green energy coming directly from the coast right and power in industry within Ireland and part of that would be hopefully some some zinc mines yeah that carry on the legacy Ireland has yeah. a 60 year legacy in, in modern uh, zinc mining yeah yeah well that's very exciting that would be uh, a nice story to to tell mm. 20 years from now 15? 20 let's just say maybe 10 10 to 15 10 to now, 15 yeah yeah, yeah. I mean that's the thing that I think people here in Vancouver know like it's not like uh, oil and gas where you poke a hole in the ground, discover oil, and it's it's out in the Producing, next Producing, yeah. 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 Uh, it's not the, that the life The life of a, of a miner. Yeah. Well, this has been exciting. Yeah. Uh, I always love talking about zinc. 
um, you know, nerding out on the conversation of mm. how to galvanize steel. Yeah. This blue sky opportunity is really exciting. It's quite, quite, it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds over the next uh, three or four or five years. Mm-hmm. Um, Bart Jaworski, CEO and director of Group 11 Resources, all the way in from Ireland. Thanks for being in today, Bart. Thanks for and, having me. And best of luck.